iTunes presents Meet the Author. Hello, and welcome to another edition of iTunes Meet the Author podcast. Today, we're talking with Chelsea Handler, stand up comedian host of E's late night show, Chelsea Lately, and author of two books, including the latest, Are You There, Vodka? It's Me, Chelsea, a collection of irreverent and hilarious essays about her family, relationships, and career. How are you doing, Chelsea? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. I'd like to start by saying congratulations. Your book is number three on the New York Times bestseller list. Yes, um, it's pretty exciting. I never thought I'd have a uh, television show on E! while simultaneously having a book on the New York Times bestseller list. So I don't think a lot of people will be able to say that unless, of course, Kim Kardashian comes up with a pop-up book about her behind. Anything's possible. Anything Uh, is possible, and E! can prove that to you time and time again. So at this point, do you consider yourself uh, primarily a writer, a TV personality, or a comedian? Um, I think I would consider myself a comedian and then the rest kind of comes from there. I think being a writer is being a comedian and everything I do on Chelsea lately is kind of coming, comes from the place of being a comedian. So everything kind of comes from a very self-deprecating place. And then, uh, you know, on the show I get to self-deprecate others (laughs) while in my books and in my personal life I am just self-deprecating, period. So uh, I think it just all comes from a place of being a comedian. So I would say that I'm a comic first. Well, it sounds like that allows you to have a lot of fun regardless of what you're doing. Yeah, I have a pretty good time in life, I would have to say. I'm tired a lot, but I'm also having, I laugh a lot. Uh, so you you grew up in, in New Jersey um, where you were raised Jewish by a Mormon mother and a Jewish father. Um, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and uh, how it may have contributed to your sense of humor. Uh, well, it was pretty stupid. I mean, my my father was like a used car dealer and we were all Jewish, but we all lived in this like upper class, nice middle you know, you know, upper middle class neighborhood, but my mom, my parents really didn't have the money for that. Everyone else was driving around with Mercedes and BMWs. And my father, you know, had a Yugo and a Pinto and, and just different cars that you wanted to forget about. And they were really embarrassing as parents. So that kind of lent a lot to all of our senses of humor, my brothers and sisters and myself. So we kind of always had to kind of make fun of ourselves to just so we had to be in on the joke because everybody else was making fun of us anyway. So you kind of have to get in on the joke and make fun of yourself along with the rest of your neighbors because then at least they're not talking about you behind your back. They're talking about you while you're sitting right there. Uh, in, in the very first essay, you tell your fellow third graders that you're starring in a movie with uh, Goldie Hawn and I believe Punky Brewster. Um, That's how, right. <laughs> how did you learn to uh, lie so well so young? You know, I was just always coming up with ridiculous stories. I think because I was the youngest of six and it was very hard to get attention. So you do it any way you can. And if it has to be about a lie that is something so outrageous that people will talk about and notice you, then that's, you know, then I realized that's what I had to do. I was going to get attention no matter how it came about. So I really was just there. I wanted people to look at me. I wanted people to pay attention. I knew I had something to say from the age of probably three or four, you know, I assessed my parents' situation and thought, this is not on the up and up. 
I looked around at my neighbors and thought, what what is our game plan? <laughs> because <laughs> things are not looking good here. Um, and and so at what point did did that become? Um, you know, you're you're making up stories for uh, self defense to you actually want to be an entertainer. Uh, you know, I think I was always just I think I always wanted to be in entertainment. I didn't know exactly how I was going to get there or what I was going to do to accomplish it. For a while, I thought, oh, I'll move out to Los Angeles and become an actress. And then you move out to Los Angeles and realize there's fifty thousand other girls that are doing that that are prettier and skinnier and I'm a Jew so I like bagels. I knew that wasn't gonna really be my strong suit. I thought, oh I'll be a model. I think what I just wanted was to be noticed and to you know, I wanted people to listen to me. So I fell into stand up comedy pretty accidentally just because I had run out of other ideas and thought, I'm pretty loud and obnoxious. Like I guess I could get up on a stage and tell jokes. And so that's what I did and um it turned out to be the best move I ever made because, you know, now I get to do a show that's so much fun for me and so much fun for my staff. And we all get to go to work every day and laugh because it's such a silly, stupid show, you know, but we have a great time doing it. And uh, I get to be myself, which is probably better than me having to memorize other people's lines because that's something I've never been very good at. Uh, tell us a little bit about the restaurant where you ate in the dark. I believe it was called uh, Don Lenore. Lenoir? Don Lenoir. Yeah, we were in London. My girlfriend Amber and I, whose name was changed for the book so that she can't sue me, even though she made me promise that I'd write a chapter about her. Um, she, We were on my first book tour in London, and we went to a restaurant where you ate in the dark. Where it's you still, it's it. I think it originated in Paris, and there's one in London, and you they're basically all the waiters that work there are blind. So it's not even like you think you're in the, you're in the dark. You, you can't see anything. They have to guide you to your table. You put your hand on their shoulder. They walk you, and they show you where your fork and knife is, and then they show you where your cocktail, and every time they come over with an entree or a serving, they say, it's me. They tap you on the shoulder, and they say, it's me, it's me. It's me, Johnny, your waiter. And you're like, yeah, I know it's you. You're the only one coming over here. Obviously, it's you. And so my girlfriend was starting, got a little bit claustrophobic and went into a panic attack of sorts. So I said, listen, just take your shirt off. Take your shirt off. You're going to freak out. You got it. You know, there's people around. You can hear. And it was just such a weird situation. You know, I was okay. But I said, just, I understand. Just, you know, maybe you just need to breathe. She's like, it's so hot. It's so hot. I'm hyperventilating. So she took her top off. I said, just take out, take off your top and just rest your tickets on the table. <laughs> and then in a move of solidarity, I decided to take my pants off because it was kind of hot in there. Sure. And about five minutes later, Johnny, who claimed to be blind, came over and said, we need you to put your clothes back on. <laughs> so his eyesight wasn't quite so bad. Uh, somebody had some sort of UV camera, incredible Hulk seals, because before you knew it, yeah, they had caught on to our shenanigans. So... I, my recommendation would be to skip that restaurant. Well, let's go ahead and listen as Chelsea and her friend Sarah eat at a London restaurant without lights. I found my way back to my seat just as Brian came back and put his hand on my shoulder. Hi, he said. It's me. Yeah, I know, Brian. I'm putting your vodka on the right, he said, maneuvering my hand to touch the glass. And Sarah, I'm going to put your water on your right as well. Ten minutes later, Brian came back and seated two English girls next to us. One of them was very sweet, but the other one didn't seem very interested in mingling with Americans. I got this impression right after I said hello, and she muttered, Great, bloody Americans. 
I am very sympathetic to why foreigners think that Americans are loud and obnoxious. Many of us, including myself, are. But just because we have a president who can't spell cat doesn't mean we all voted for him. Along with a huge constituency, I am also counting the days until Barack Obama or Ryan Seacrest takes over. The nice one asked us if this was our first time at the restaurant and how we heard about the place. Sarah jumped in and told her all about her online search and how the restaurant originated in Paris, blah, 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 blah. The nice one seemed a lot like Sarah as far as research and planning goes, and when it's coming from someone not so close to you, it actually can be more charming. I reminded myself to tell Sarah this in a private moment later. Sarah told the girl that we absolutely loved it here and we're having the best time in London. What a great city you guys get to live in, she said, panting excitedly. Yeah, I said, trying to get in the conversation. This is when the mean girl decided she would add to the conversation. Yes, it's nice being exposed to civilization, isn't it? Before I could respond, Brian walked over and leaned down above us. Hi. It's me. Yes, Brian, we get it. It's always you. I'm me, and you're you. Ladies, I apologize, but I'm going to have to ask you to put your sweater and pants back on. What? exclaimed the mean girl sitting on my right. What are you, a couple of lesbos? No, I told her. We're not lesbos. We were hot, and my friend was hyperventilating. We didn't think anybody could see us, considering it's pitch black in here. Do girls from your country have any manners? Was her next question. You know what, mean girl, I said. You are not a nice person. You should be a little bit more open-minded and not judge people based on what country they're from. I'm not asking you why all the men in your country refuse to get circumcised, am I? Oh, that's just lovely. No, actually, it's not lovely. It's repulsive. They look like fucking aardvarks, and I really don't appreciate it. I got up from the table and squeezed myself back into my jeans. Sarah, can we go now, please? Yes, she said, and then screamed, Brian, it's us! Chelsea, congratulations on the success of your new book, and thanks a lot for your time. Thank you so much. Chelsea Handlers, Are You There, Vodka? It's Me, Chelsea, is available everywhere books are sold. And the audiobook, read by Chelsea herself, is available on iTunes.